Job chapter 2. Would you turn with me to Job chapter 2? We are in a series on Job. And a quick recap last week that we talked about things aren't always as they seem. And especially when we suffer, things aren't always as they seem. And we uh, talked about this last week, that Job didn't know what was going on, but we knew what was going on because we see it. We read about the angels and and Satan going to see God, and then they're making this wager about what what Job is worshiping God for. And so God kind of challenges Satan. We see the unseen, and Job never does. And so when we struggle, things aren't always what they seem. And then I talked about the fact that God has his hand on the thermostat when life turns up the heat that he controls what we go through and what we experience. And then then the last point that we made was that God's purpose in our lives is actually beyond our lives. It's not really about us. We'll experience it, we'll go through it, but we won't. We won't necessarily be the chief recipient of what God is trying to do. Sometimes God puts us through something so that somebody we know can experience a blessing so that somebody we talk to later in life can be edified by our testimony. And so it's so important that you have a big picture mentality when it comes to what God is doing in your life. And today we're gonna shift gears drastically. We're gonna talk about Job's friends. And the title of the message is Friendology. If you have notes, take out your notes with us. Friendology, the study of being a good friend. We're going to learn about how to be a good friend from the three worst friends in human history. (laughs) Poor Job. I mean, he has been through the mill. He has lost everything, his flocks, his herds, his 10 kids. Uh, His wife is about to divorce him. He's lost his health. He's scraping off boils of his skin with pieces of pottery. It has been merciless. And his friends come along, and they're going to make it worse. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been the victim of a drive-by Christian? <laughs> like, that sounds crazy. What are you talking about? I know drive-by shootings. I remember from Mrs. Doubtfire, a drive-by fruiting. Um, what's a drive-by Christian? Well, it's what I, I, I put it like this. It's a well-intentioned Christian who has jacked up theology and they feel no qualms about sharing with you at the worst possible time. And they just leave you like blinking your eyes like, what did you just say to me? And, and I've, I've had experience in my life and you've probably had it happen in, in your life. And it's not that I'm criticizing that person. They had all the good intentions of the world, but they just, they didn't know what was really going on. They didn't have the whole story. And they come across like, you know, just, it's all right, you know, and all things, or some kind of Christian epithet there that we all know about, those coffee cup verses that that are great presents around Christmas time. But really, when you're going through it, you don't need somebody to come along you and, and, and share with you some kind of coffee cup scripture. You need someone just to be there. Drive by Christians. And, uh, I gotta tell you, I'm a, I'm, 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 you know, I'm a pastor, obviously. That's why I'm up here. <laughs> Not everybody out there knows I'm a pastor, and I'll talk to people who don't go to church. And you know that the number one reason why most people that I talk to don't go to church, do you know what the number one reason is? Christians. They've had a run-in with a Christian that just left them flipped upside down with this whole deal, and they were just like, 
are you, are you serious? You're telling me that now? And you don't even know my situation? And, and I've had conversations with people that, man, if, if I could just address the Christian that talked to them and left them in that state, I'd be like trying to shake them like, what are you doing? These people need to know about the love of God, the grace of Jesus, the, the compassion of God. They don't need you to be all holier than thou, so heavenly minded you're of no earthly good. And that's kind of what Job's going to experience with his three friends. And God, thank God for him, he's going to have a huge problem. So let's read from Job chapter 2, verse 11 through 13, just three verses. Can we all stand, everybody in video, watching my video, let's stand. And, and we're going to read these three verses from Job chapter 2. Here's what happens after Job goes through his horrible experience and his friends come by. Verse 11 of chapter 2. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namanite. Not really easy towns or names to say, so give me credit for that. Amen. Uh, <laughs> they made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. So they got together. They said, hey, let's go, let's go meet with Job. He, he's going through some hard times. Verse 12, when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. So now we know how bad it's been. It's, it's been horrible. They didn't even recognize him. These are his friends. And they raised their voices and they wept. And they tore their robes and they sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground. Check this out. They sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him. For they saw that his suffering was very great. Let's give credit where credit is due, okay? They came and they saw him, and they sat with him on the ground for seven days, seven nights. Now, if they had just done that, they'd have been the picture of wonderful fellowship and friendship. But they opened their mouths, <laughs> and all hell broke loose. <laughs> we need to know how to be good friends. Amen, someone? Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, as you taught us last week how to suffer, I pray that this week you'll tell us how to be a friend of the suffering one. That we will radiate your love and your grace and your mercy. That we won't pretend to have the answer when we don't that we won't try to just fix the problem when maybe we just need to hear about it. That we will be like Jesus to those who don't feel that he's actually even present sometimes. And I pray, Lord, that this church and our church and everybody watching my video will grow more and more to be like Christ and comfort the wounded. In his name we pray, amen. You may be seated. And we do want to say a very special welcome to everybody watching by video in Taunton and everybody else watching by video. Everybody here at North Attleboro Saturday night, give them a hand. Welcome them in. Glad to see you. Glad to see you. We all need friends. We all need friends. What about when your friends stink? 
because we're going to go through some stuff. And our friends, and, and, and hear this especially if you are a friend, our friends have the potential to make what we're going through easier or harder. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be the kind of friend that makes it easier for people to go through what they're going through. Life's hard. Life's tough enough. I don't need to be part of the problem for somebody else. We need somebody. When we are going through times that we don't understand, we need a friend to come alongside of us and say, it's okay. I'm here. Keep smiling. Keep shining. <laughs> Knowing that you can always count on me. For sure. That's what friends are for. For good times and bad times, I'll be on your side forevermore. That's what friends are for. Amen. <laughs> That's the end of the singing. We need friends. And we need to be good friends. God is pro-friend. The Bible says that Moses was God's friend and God was Moses' friend. The Bible says that when Jesus sits at the Last Supper with his disciples, he says, we spent three years together. I call you no longer my servants. I call you my friends. That by, our, by, by nature of our relationship through Jesus Christ, every human being has the potential and the capacity to be a friend of God and to have him a friend of you. The Bible says in Proverbs 17, verse 17, that a friend is born for adversity. A friend is there when life turns up the heat. And Job's friends, they come, and they're there for him, and they're there to, to, to be with him and, and, and kind of like sit in silence for seven days, and that's good, but then they start talking, and, and it's just bad. It just goes very bad. And God shows up at the end of the book, and, and we're going to get to that in the series. But God shows up at the end of the book, and he has a huge problem with Job's friends. And it says this in Job chapter 42, verse 7. Here's how God addresses Job's friends. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, and notice what it says, my anger burns against you and against your two friends. He's God is mad. For you, and listen to this, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Did you notice God's complaint with these guys? His complaint wasn't that they spoke of Job wrongly, or they spoke of life in general wrongly, or they spoke of his suffering wrongly. His complaint was that they didn't speak about God properly. This is a huge deal. God, God is, the, 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 the anger coming from God is, is addressed at the fact that what they believed about him was really completely off base. And you know people like this. And you know of Christians, maybe Christians, maybe non-Christians, people who have come alongside you and told you something about God in relation to what you're going through, and it didn't help. And it was actually wrong. And they felt more than free to offer you their opinion. But when you actually find out what the Bible says and, and you look it up, man, they were way off. 
I had a conversation with, with a guy. Uh, like I said, 90% of the time, the people who don't come to church don't want to come to church because of bad experiences with Christians, drive-by Christians. I had a conversation with a guy a couple of years ago. He said that someone tried, he's not a Christian, and a Christian that I knew used to come to this church, actually, went and tried to talk to him about Jesus, and, and, and one of the first things they shared was, I guess this Christian wanted to like, show the sincerity of his faith, the sincerity of his belief, and he said, you know what, I'm so serious about God that if God asked me to kill my child tomorrow, I would do it. It's like, really? That's what you want to share? I mean, even if it's true, which by the way, God's not going to do that, but even if it's true, don't share that. Not even with your small group. Please. It's like sometimes I just want to tell some Christians, like, can you, can you just do us a favor and, and not tell anybody about Jesus? Because you're making it hard for the rest of us. You're making it very hard. This is Job's friends. They didn't speak about God, what was right. And we've all had experiences like that. And we all know somebody like that. Oh, oh, oh. But by the way, if you don't know anybody like that, it's you. <laughs> just, just letting you know. <laughs> All right? How do we become? How do we do what Job's friends did not do? How do we be the kinds of friends, if God is pro-friend and, and if God wants to use us as friends to help each other and care for one another and bear one another's burdens and lift one another up and encourage one another and minister to one another, how do we do that? Friendology according to God. And I got three points for you and then we're going to close. Point number one, if you're taking notes, friends have good theology. Friends have good theology. I, I almost want to rephrase this point even while I'm preaching it. Because some of you are not self-proclaimed theologians. But here's, here's how I'd like to rephrase the point. Friends are constantly growing in their theology. Do you want to be a good friend? Here's how. Get to know God. Know what he's like, know how good he is, understand his mercies, see his grace in action, read the Bible, digest it, feed on it, go to church, get in small group, learn as much as you possibly can about God. It'll make you a terrific friend. Job's friends were horrible friends. Why? They didn't speak about God. What was right? In other words, another way of saying it is this, their theology was jacked up. They didn't know what God's like. And so they went on preconceived notions, hearsay, their own ideas, and they didn't have the truth. And again, we've experienced people like this. Now, some of you are saying to me, I'm not a theologian. Isn't that your job? Listen, listen, listen. We're all theo theologians. We're all theologians. See, the Bible says God created everything. So there's not a thing in the universe that doesn't have the thumbprint of God on it. The moment you make a statement about anything, you've just become a theologian. As soon as you say, wow, those are beautiful stars. Look at those stars. What a wonderful, awesome, big bang moment that must have been. You just made a theological statement. Anti-theological, but theological nonetheless. When you say things like, well, the God that I know would never fill in the blank. Well, to me, God is like, 
fill in the blank. The moment that you say these kind of statements, you are becoming a self-professing theologian. And you got to be careful. You have to be very careful because we can't afford to have bad theology. Bad theology is not just going to hurt me. It's going to hurt everybody who runs into me. And I could cause a world of hurt to, to so many people if I have a bad view of who God is and what he's really like. A.W. Tozer, a preacher from the last century, powerful preacher in the CMA movement, he said this, what comes, to my, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. If, if, if you think just, you know, angry dad when you hear God, God's name, or, or the name God, or the word God, when you hear God and you say, oh, angry God, no, then you're always going to be angry with people. If, if you think God is okay with sin, then you're never going to clean up your act. You're never going to strive for holiness and righteousness. If you think that God is, is, is um, kind of absent, then you won't be there either for other people. If you don't think God cares, you won't care. What you think about God, the most important thing about you, and, and you as a friend cannot afford to be a bad theologian. So if you want to be a good friend, get to know who God is and what he's like. You say, how do I do that? You're doing it right now. You're coming to church. You're experiencing the preaching of the word. Your faith is being built. The Bible says by hearing and hearing the word of God, we learn. Hopefully you walk out of this building or, 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 or Taunton, you walk out of the building and every weekend you feel like you just, you just found out more about God and it's gonna help you and it's gonna empower your life to be more productive in his, right, in his fields and his harvest field. Get to know God. I want to talk about the three friends because they come up with some crazy stuff. The first one is named Eliphaz. Eliphaz has the central premise, and he speaks three times, and by the way, he speaks the most, so obviously he feels that he's the rightest, you know, the most right. By the way, just so you know, just because somebody talks a lot doesn't make them right. Just because somebody talks loud doesn't make them right. And this guy, he's just, he's just talking most of the time. His central premise is this. Everybody sins, and what our job is, is our job is to get rid of the sins so that we can get the goods from God. Now, the problem with Eliphaz's statement is, remember, remember Satan's original accusation in chapter 1? His original accusation was, the reason why Job serves you, God, is to get the goods. And unwittingly, Eliphaz actually backs up the attacks of Satan. In other words, God is just a means to an end. Just appease him. Go to church so you can have a good week. Don't sin so that God will bless you. And, and it's kind of like this, this manipulative nature of worship, which is nothing that God wants from us. He wants true relationship that hurts and heals and, 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 and sways and, and, and goes through stuff, but on the other, comes out on the other side, and we're closer than ever before. And Eliphaz is like, no, 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 no. We just got to stop doing bad so that God will bless us. And there's a whole lot of people like that. Something else that Eliphaz does actually happens a lot in the church. And I want to show you something that he says in Job chapter 4, one of his first speeches. It says this truth, verse 12 of chapter 4 in Job, this truth was given to me in secret as though whispered in my ear, a spirit 
swept past my face, and my hair stood on end. Do you see what he's saying here? He said, hey, listen, I, I, I heard something. And, and it was a really intricate and, and intense moment, and the, the hairs on my head stood on end. And, and then he says this in verse 16, the spirit stopped, but I couldn't see its shape. There was a form before my eyes, and in the silence, I heard a voice say. And then he goes on, and he talks. What's Eliphaz doing? He's doing the classic, the classic phrase. from I've, I've heard it so many times. I want you to hear something, and the Lord told me to tell you. Right? Have you ever had somebody do that to you? Just like, the Lord told me to tell you. Now look, okay, I believe in prophecy, and I think we should seek to be uh, operating in the gift of prophecy, Corinthians chapter 14, believe it, huge, but we got to be careful with words like that. We can't just be flippantly saying, hey, the Lord told me to tell you. you got to be very sure that what you're about to say lines up with what God actually says in his word. And then you better be darn sure that you know what that person is really going through before you just start spouting off. The Lord told me to tell you. I, I've been in the church a long time. I've, I've seen single guys in the church. They do this classic thing. They'll go up to this out-of-their-league single lady, right? Out-of-their-league and they'd be like, hey, the Lord told me that you're going to be my wife. It's like, no, dude, the Lord did not tell you. Something else told you that. I don't know what it was, but it was not the Lord. Stop, stop using the Lord to get the goods. <laughs> you got to be careful with this. It's manipulative, and it can be very hurtful. The second friend is Bildad. Bildad is an absolutist. For, for Bildad, everything is black and white. And Bildad believes that if you do good, you get good. If you do evil, you get evil. That's it. Done. So Job, obviously you did a bunch of bad. Obviously you really messed up. Now the problem with this philosophy, the problem with black and white theology is this. Life is far too complicated to have simple theology. It's just sometimes life doesn't make sense. Sometimes life just throws something at you and you're just like, I'm not equipped for that right now. What is that? Where did this come from? And it's, it's because your simplistic notion of how life works, sometimes it's got to be upended because God's thoughts, Isaiah says, are not like our thoughts. And his ways are far beyond anything we can imagine. And sometimes God's doing something we don't understand and it's just because He's God. He has, he has this funny habit of being God. And he doesn't ask our permission to be God. And so sometimes he's going to do something. We're just like, what? And this is, this is completely opposite of Bill that He's just like, no, 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 no. No, it's very simple, Job. You did wrong. In fact, uh, something else that Bill that does in Job chapter 8, verse 8, I don't have this on the screen for you, but here's what it says. Uh, he says this to Job, just ask the previous generation. Pay attention to the experience of our ancestors. In other words, I heard this from someone sometime, somewhere. Now, as a pastor, can I tell you that the most disconcerting thing to me is just to, to just experience the amount of people who just take their word for it when they hear somebody talk about God. 
And they don't do what the Bereans did in Acts chapter 17. The, the Bereans, Paul comes by and he preaches to them about Jesus being the Christ. And this is what the Bereans do. The Bereans say, okay, that's your claim. Let's just check it out here. And they start looking in the scriptures to see if it's actually true. And the Bible says that the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians because they searched the scriptures to see if what Paul actually said was in the scriptures. Do you do that? Is some of your theology based on, well, my mom always said, like Forrest Gump theology. Mom always said. I mean, you know, it's, it's not, sometimes you're bearing burdens in your heart that have been passed on to you from bad theology from five generations. And if you just knew the truth, the truth would actually set you free. But you're carrying this load of nonsense. Why? Because somebody told you sometime, somewhere, and you never bothered to check it out. Search the scriptures and find out, is that true? Now, I don't know what it might be for you, but this is just, just, this just I'm just giving you this as a, a help to you. Don't just receive it. Explore it. The best thing you can do to be a good friend is to become a better theologian. The third friend is Zophar. Zophar. Um, Zophar is just mean. He's the angriest one of the bunch. By the way, have any of you ever experienced a mean Christian? Like some of you, that was my pastor growing up. My pastor was mean. Zophar actually has the audacity to say to Job that God is punishing Job less than what he deserves. Job 11 verse 6. Listen, God is doubtless punishing you less than you deserve. It's like, were you not around in Job chapter 2? Because there's not much left that God could do to him. Like he took all his kids, he took all his flocks, all of his herds, his house, everything is gone. I mean, what else could he do? Hell is gone. And by the way, it wasn't God, it was Satan. But nonetheless, Zophar is like, no, 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 this is God's punishment again. God's punishing you, and, he, and you, deserve, you deserve worse. Like, you know, some of you, that was your pastor growing up. Your pastor, every sermon was the same thing. You all stink, and you need to repent. Have a nice day. Like, that was it. No help, no compassion. You know the Bible says this. When Jesus saw the crowds in Matthew chapter 9, it says that he looked and he saw the crowds and they were like sheep without a shepherd. And they were harassed and they were helpless. There's a lot of people in our lives that are harassed and helpless. And they don't need somebody to come alongside them and say, you stink. You're a sinner and you need to repent. Is it true? Yeah, we're all sinners. We all need to repent. But sometimes we need somebody to just love us in the midst of it. Prodigal's father ran to him and wrapped his arm around him and said, kill the fattened calf. Put the ring on his finger, the robe on his back. My son is back. And he smelt like pigs. And he loved him. Amen, somebody? So those are the three friends. And the, re the, the reason why I bring them up to you is it's because we can't, have, we can't afford to have bad theology. You want to be a good friend? Get to know God. That's point number one. Good friends have good theology. Number two, a friend knows when to shut it. <laughs> like I have a friend, he is always texting me, shut it. You know, we're just like, it's a fun way of saying, you know, I've had enough. Shut it. <laughs> 
A friend knows when to shut it. Uh, that was Job's friend's problem. They just started spouting off. And they spoke from ignorance. There's a reason why there are so many scriptures about the potential evil of our tongues. James chapter 1, 19. My brothers, let everybody be quick to listen and slow to what? Speak. Proverbs, oh man, tons, tons of material on the tongue in Proverbs. I'll read a couple for you. Uh, Proverbs 10, 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 18, 13. If, if one gives answer before hearing, it is folly and shame. Another proverb says this. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps his mouth shut. Like, if you don't know what someone's going through, if you don't know what to say, here's a great piece of advice. Don't say anything. Just be quiet. Because friends, friends listen. Friends find out what's the story. Just let me hear it out. And, and, and there's this, this powerful moment in Job chapter 6 where well, first off, in Job chapter 3, um, after, after Job worships the Lord, in Job chapter 3, he just starts letting it out. And he, he just starts cursing the day of his birth, and he wants to die, and he's mad that he wasn't born a stillborn child, all this stuff. I mean, he's just, he's just venting to the air. And Eliphaz is the first to speak, and he's just kind of like, he just starts in on Job. Don't, you know, watch out what you're saying. Don't say that. Be quiet. And he just starts jumping on Job's words. And Job responds this powerful, powerful question from Job in, 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 in chapter 6, verse 26. Here's what he says. He says, do you think that you can reprove words when the speech of a despairing man is wind? What's he saying? He's saying, look, man, I'm in despair. And my words right now in this state is just Wind. Don't take me too seriously right now. I've lost everything. I'm going through something, and I'm just kind of letting it out. Is that okay with you? Do you actually have to reprove those words? There are some of us, man, we do that. We jump on people. Well, you said that. Well, you said this. Well, you shouldn't do that. Man, sometimes people just need to let it out. And it's okay to let it out. Do you know that the Bible never says, keep it inside? Never says, read some of the Psalms. I mean, it's the pinnacle of letting it out, some of the Psalms. It's like words to the winds. We just, we just want to major on the minors of what people are going through. And we all know this because when we are really at wit's end, we all say things that we don't mean. And the last thing we need is somebody to come along and say, whoa, 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 sit back the truck up there. You shouldn't be saying that. Well, I know I shouldn't, but I'm just, I'm despairing. My sister lost her husband two years ago, a little short, little uh, less than two years ago. And uh, a horrible tragedy. We found he was sick on Sunday and, and died on Tuesday. And uh, we had a relative call my sister, and, and she was going through this personal spiritual revival of her own, right? And she calls up my sister to just kind of like let her, hear all, you know, the Christian epithets. Well, you know, God's going to get you through this, and everything happens for a reason, and, and my God is for us, and who can be against All these Christian epithets, right? All these coffee cup verses. 
And she kept her on the phone for three hours, just kind of telling her all this stuff. It's like, all, all my sister at that moment wanted to do was just say, listen, my life sucks right now. That's all, I just want to say that. Is that all right? Can I just say that? Good news, you can say it. God's big enough to handle it and know that it's really not you. And sometimes as friends, we just need to listen. We don't need to solve the problem. Husbands, hello. We, we, I'm still learning this. My wife will tell me about things that are bad, and I go into fix-it mode. Well, if you did this, and if you changed that, and if you did this, and I would say it like this, and, I, and she's just like, what are you doing? I'm just wanting to vent. I mean, that's just <laughs> sometimes you just need to listen. Job chapter 13, he's just fed up. He says, oh, that you would be silent, for that would be wisdom. It'd be smarter if you just stopped speaking, because right now I don't need your epithets. Right now I don't need your advice. Right now I just need to vent. There is a cathartic nature to that, and we'd be good friends to understand that. Number three, and lastly, a friend knows the power of just being there. It's the power of presence. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to solve their problem. You just have to be there. You just have to be there. It's, you know the best kind of theology in the world? I'm going to tell you what it is. The best kind of theology in the world is incarnational theology. Incarnational the term that we attribute to Jesus becoming flesh. He, be, he became God incarnate. And, and here's what it says in John 14. The Word became flesh. The Word being Jesus in the beginning. He was with God in the beginning. And He is the Word of God. And He became flesh. And He dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Incarnational theology. Here's what it is. You just are there. You're just present. And, and if you want to exemplify Jesus, that's what he did. This is the wonderful thing about our faith, by the way. Every other religion in the history of religions is God is up there somewhere, and we're down here, and we got to really try hard to kind of, you know, reach up to God and try to get up to God. Every other, thing, every other religion in the world, that's what it's about. But in Christianity, here's, here's the truth. God doesn't stay up there. God comes down here. I love the message version of John chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. He's there. In the Old Testament, he is called Jehovah Shammah, the God who is there. That's one of the wonderful, most powerful attributes of our God. He's there for us. And now, here's the deal for us. If Jesus is our Lord, and if we're following him, then we got to be there. Some of you are like, oh, I don't like difficult people. They drain me. Oh, man, I can't. That's not what Jesus did for you. Do you know this is why we do small groups? This is why we do small groups. 
And, and, and we've got to break the spirit of American consumerism Christianity. Here's what American consumer Christianity does. Well, I'm really not getting out of anything out of it for myself. Well, maybe your job is to actually put something into it. Like some of you are like, oh, I don't do small groups. No, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Well, okay, we need some good people in our small groups for the people who aren't good. And I'm not saying that everybody in our small groups aren't good. There's a lot of good people. But I am saying this, that sometimes you're going to go to a small group and you're going to be the one that just encourages somebody else. You're not going to go to the small group to see what you can get out of it. Right? You're not going to go to the church thing because you need a blessing for that week. You're going to go to be the blessing. You're going to go to be the shoulder somebody can cry on. You're going to go to be the comforting hand or word or experience or testimony like Leanne was for us this, today. That somebody needs what you have and you are willing to give it. Why? Because Jesus gave it for you. That's the power of a good friend. And just in case you're wondering, it's not optional. Like this message is actually profoundly important for all of us and for our church. What kind of church could we be? What kind of church could we be? What kind of, what kind of relationships could you have with people in your life if you just stopped talking sometimes? Stopped giving words to the winds, and you did what Jesus does. You moved in, and you cared. That's my prayer for our church. That's my prayer for our small groups. That's my prayer for you. I want you to stand with me.